Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. The Net Live is brought to you by the Spire Institute. Integrating sports and education, training and learning, performance and competition like no place on earth. SpireInstitute.org. Now, on with the show. It's that time. We have the people. This is Eric and I'm Moana. This is Priscilla Lima. This is Casey Patterson. The story in real time. We're a much better team now than we were then. I'm not looking at just this season. I'm looking at the next four years. You're listening to The Net Live with Barney. You didn't win, so you must not have done a good job. Peter. There's no better angle, for sure, uh, than the one from behind. Reed. All this travel and playing and priorities that really get in the way of our relationship. And DJ Ruscha. I have great thighs. It's The Net Live right now. Take over the show. So welcome into the Barnett Show. This will be uh, two full hours of me, but uh, never fear. We will have some other guests joining me, some great guests this week. Jack Hammond. You heard last week from Courtney Thompson. She is the subject of a fantastic new documentary. It looks to be a fantastic new documentary, Court and Spark. Jack Hammond and his wife Leslie are the power couple behind this effort and this movie that is going to premiere at the Final Four in Seattle this year. Jack Hammond will join us to tell us about that project, among other things. He's a documentarian, documentarian who's done a variety of different movies on different topics. He's also been a writer. He's been an announcer. He has been a parent and a fan. And he's also married to uh, Leslie, now formerly Leslie Buck. So he's actually married to the sister of a legend, legendary Craig Buck. Of course, uh, gold medalist with the United States men. Now we'll have him, and we will also have Lindsey Berg, two-time silver medalist. Lindsey Berg, who, I don't know what it is about setters. Maybe they're like the quarterbacks. It's always a comparison, right? Quarterbacks of the volleyball world. And the comparison is always that. And maybe that's apt now as far as retirements go. Lloyd Ball, retired, then unretired, then retired again. Lindsey Berg, rumored retirement after the 2012 games, then went to Turkey to play. Now, back with the national team. Going to be back with the national team here shortly. So, setters never die. They, uh, they just go noisily into the dark, I guess. They're always trying to hang in there. So, Lindsey Berg will join us to talk about her International Setting Academy, as well as her continuing career and what the future holds. Lindsay Berg, always one of the most interesting women out there in the world of international volleyball. We'll also have your calls, 347-677-1525, if you want to check in with me here in the NetLive studio. 
I will be here holding it down and hanging out for the next two hours. So three four seven six seven seven fifteen twenty five. The other way you can get a hold of me is by tweeting. Tweet at the net live on Twitter. Got it up here. I'll be checking it out and keeping an eye on it. if you have a question or a comment. Of course, there is also the chat board if you are logged in there. Questions, comments, welcome, as well as topics. A lot has happened in the last two weeks. A couple of beach events, FIVB beach events, the Hague, or the Hog if you're Jeremy Ruscha, but the Hague and then Rome happened for beach, and World League has been ongoing for the indoor men. Then there's Pan Am Cup for the indoor women. And as usual, lots of United States success, as has been the case internationally forever now for the United States. We'll start with Beach. I know odd, very odd, Kevin in the studio by himself, starting with Beach. This is, uh, this is for Jeremy Ruscha if he's listening somewhere. A couple of events. The Hague was the first one. Happened a couple of weeks ago. And the United States teams, at least on the men's side, in that tournament, struggling just a bit. The United States' top finish was a fifth place. Given Patterson, again, playing well, they earn a fifth place finish in that event. And then you have to go all the way down to 17th to find the next finisher. That's Dalhauser and Rogers, although things would get better for Dalhauser and Rogers. And then a 25th for Rogers and Doherty. I'm sorry, Dalhauser, Dalhauser and Rosenthal. Let me get the R right. Dalhauser and Rosenthal, so used to that Rogers. And then Rogers and Darty down in 25th. So that was the Hague. And you thought Dalhauser and Rogers had a little bit of a layoff, took a couple tournaments off. Maybe they're a little rusty. I think the, the big story for the United States so far this year has been Gibbon Patterson having an incredible season. Fifth, not a bad result for them in that event. Then they moved on to Rome. And it was a different story for Dalhauser and Rosenthal. They came back. They look to be in form, taking home the gold medal and $33,000, mind you. So congratulations to Phil and Rosie on that victory. They defeat a couple of Latvians in the final. It was a pair of Brazilians, uh, Pedro and Bruno versus Allison and Emmanuel, Alison and Emmanuel in the uh, the semis, So, or pardon me, the third place. It was third and fourth for those teams. And then Doppler and Horst, good finish for them. Austrian team finished up in fifth. And then for the other United States teams, Given Patterson down in ninth for that event, so not up to their usual standards. And then Rogers and Darty, seventeenth. So Rogers and Darty at twenty fifth, and then a seventeenth in the last couple of tournaments, and a tough one. Rogers and Darty in Rome, one and two in pool play, one and two. I would guess that's not where they want to be. One and two, and then lost in the first round. That is a tough one for Rogers and Darty. You wonder what's at work here. Is it Ryan Darty trying to learn the game? Ryan Darty trying to learn a new partner? How about trying to learn the game when you're playing at the highest level of the game? You're playing at the FIVB level, and you're still just trying to learn. Is it Todd Rogers? Is Todd Rogers? kind of past his prime. Is he not what he used to be? Is it the partnership? Will we see this partnership perhaps get better over the summer? Remember, this is a new partnership, a brand new partnership. 
So it'll be interesting to see what happens with them. But right now, the last couple of rounds, obviously not what Darty and Rogers had in mind when they embarked on this partnership. Gibbon Patterson, Phil and Rosie, boy, they have had a, a good year so far. I think that's a great start for these players. I particularly think about Casey Patterson and where he's been the last few years in the partner switch up. He's been through a bunch of different partners, a bunch of different situations, of course, a bunch of different tours. And finally, Casey Patterson appears to have found a great partnership with Jake Gibb. And they have had uh, what definitely must be considered a success through this first year, despite the ninth place finish in the last event. But they uh, they've had a, a fantastic year. Moving over to the women's side of things for these events. Start you out with the Hague. And looking at the Hague main draw, you had to go all the way down to ninth to find a U.S. team. Kessie and Ross took a ninth in that tournament. And then you had Fendrick and Hochaver. Hochaver. See, there, Brittany. I'm getting it. I'm getting it right. And Fatma Sweat. Well, you had a 17th for Fendrick and Hochaver. Hochaver. And then Fatma Sweat in 25th. So for the U.S. women, a kind of mixed results. Mixed results for them in that Hague tournament. And, uh, you know, Kessie Ross, certainly capable, as we know, the Olympic silver medalist, of a better finish. And they would prove that the following week, taking a second in Rome. They would lose to Lima and Talita. Brazilians, and Brazilians continue to sit atop the leaderboard quite a bit. No surprise that Brazil and the United States are continuing to dominate the top levels of women's volleyball, beach volleyball. Then you had a pair of ninths. So it was uh, Fendrick and Hochever finishing in ninth, and Fatma Sweat finishing in ninth. Good, uh, good results for both of those teams, and it's good to see them finishing solidly in the middle of the main draw. So that's the beach report. Don't have a ton of Information outside of that when it comes to the beach tournaments, thanks to Steve Klaskin for sending us all the match results, providing us with easy links to the FIVB website. One of the things that I continue to struggle with with the FIVB website is if you click on the main draw results, wouldn't it be nice if you could click on a pair and pull up their results for the year? Wouldn't that be cool if you could actually click on them and pull up their tournament finishes for the year without having to go through five or six or eight more clicks in order to fi figure out where you should be for uh, for the actual yearly results. Imagine hyperlinks, FIVB. That might be good. Toledo and Lima, Brazil, continue to have a fantastic season. They were the winners in The Hague. And then, of course, finishing up in Rome, in the uh, number one position as well. So Talitha and Lima looking to be the team to beat on the women's side. But I would love some hyperlinks and something that was written natively in English, not written in something else and translated back to English so the, the wording just ends up odd. I, I love Rosenthal and Dalhauser off mark with gold in Rome. What does that mean? What do you mean? How can you be off the mark when you are the victors? If you win the tournament, how can you be off mark? How can that happen? Yes, BJ. BVB Info does, in fact, have that those clickable links. I do like that. 
of course, our, our new executive producer, B.J. Evans, doing so from Colorado, as though she doesn't have enough work to do uh, with her responsibilities there with USA Volleyball. She's taking the time to also provide us with information here. <laughs> so I, I always appreciate that, B.J. Thank you. All right, so there's your beach report. I think uh, the beach, Jeremy, you'd be, uh, you'd be happy that you heard about the beach. I think this is uh, an interesting season. I'm still interested to see what Dahlhauser and Rogers, pardon me, geez, uh, Rogers and Doherty come up with. You know, it's good. They both had to had to pick partners that started with the same initial. So you have Dahlhauser Rogers a year ago. Now you have Dahlhauser's Rosen, Dahlhauser Rosenthal, and you also have Doherty and Rogers. So to make it even, all the more confusing, awesome. There's your beach report. Thank you again, Steve Klaskin, for all that. Let's get to a little indoor stuff. World League. The USA men. Maybe you've had an opportunity to see it. Maybe you tuned in to see it and you ended up with hockey. Or maybe you ended up with, I think it was car racing or something, ended up on some other thing, ended up on instead of the USA men's matches. And uh, I, I did see Bev Oden kind of having a good, good old rant there on about.com about the lack of coverage for the men's world league and it getting preempted. But uh newsflash for all those of you who were upset. If you, all of your friends got together at a bar and all of their friends got together at another bar and all of their friends got together at another bar and they were coming to the bar just to watch volleyball. If you had some exponential increase in the viewership for volleyball, then volleyball would be on. Matter of fact, it would be on live, and it wouldn't even conflict with the hockey. And if it did conflict with the hockey, then it would be on. That's the problem. You're not going to, until the community is watching volleyball in huge numbers on television, we are not going to end up preempting NHL championship hockey. Sorry, just not going to happen. Just not going to happen. So the Argentina matches, I know the first one was preempted, or maybe you got 20 minutes of it, depending upon where you were. The second one, you got an opportunity to see all of it. And then the United States, having taken that match, moved on last weekend, not this past one, but the one before, the past weekend of competition, which was in Tulsa, Oklahoma, moved on to that and took two matches from France, dominating 3-0, very close second set, and then came back and won in five the following night. So a couple of a good results for the USA men and their start. And I, I think if you talk about notable performances for the United States men, one of them has to be Paul Lottman. Paul Lottman, last guy put on the USA men's national team for the Olympics last year. It came down to he his selection or Riley Salmon. Those two players for the last outside hitter spot on the 2012 Olympic team. Paul Lottman gets the spot. Then in the Olympic Games, you don't see too much of Paul Lottman. For whatever reason, see him only sparingly throughout the tournament. 
So I didn't really know what you could get from Paul Lottman. Everyone always would tell me Paul is a great guy, doing a great job, working hard in the gym. But Paul is not a demonstrative presence on the volleyball court, off the volleyball court. Paul's not one of these guys that draws a lot of attention to himself. It was good to finally get a little bit of a view as to what Paul Lottman could do. And if you watch these French matches, you saw what Paul Lottman could do. Paul Lottman has been the super sub. He started out the second, the first night against France. He actually got the start and did not have a remarkable night. Totally unremarkable night, as a matter of fact. But the second night, Lottman had the opportunity to again come off the bench. And it's a totally different guy. He's a totally different guy when he comes off the bench. So Paul Lottman comes off the bench, I believe it was the latter half of set one, the beginning of set two, and he comes into the match, immediately goes nine for nine with all kinds of different opportunities. High balls, fast ones to the outside, broken plays. Anything you wanted, Paul Lottman was putting into the floor. Ended up having a fantastic night contributing in the offensive side of things, but also passing-wise, defensively. And really, this is where Paul's demeanor, I thought, played well. Through a five-set match, a little bit up and down, Paul's demeanor helps to steady things out. He's not going to go too high. He's not going to go too low. He's just going to keep working. And that's beneficial when things are going poorly, for sure. Let someone else drive the emotion up. But let him hang on to it when things are down. I like it that hitting Matt Gardoff in the chat board says, Paul Lottman had it all. He even used Jeremy's high spatchy off the hands. Yes, he did. He caught the fingertips a few times. So, Paul Lottman, good weekend. Congratulations to him. Other notable performances, the Shoji brothers, both of them. Kavika Shoji started both matches and, more importantly, finished both matches. A little bit off on his rhythm, night number two with Matt Anderson. Night number one, Matt Anderson hitting well over 500. Night number two, Anderson hitting uh, just a little bit over 300. 360, 350, somewhere in there. But it didn't feel right. And if you watch the broadcast, we talked a little bit about it. Matt Anderson not in rhythm with Kavika Shoji and struggled just a little bit. But kudos to Matt Anderson for not making mistakes. Keeping the ball in. Not hurting his team. Hit a lot of zeros. And then when things came around towards the end, he was back there. He and Kavika Shoji kind of got back on the same page. But I thought Shoji did a fantastic job particularly setting the left in match number one. I mentioned the struggles in match number two, but match number one, he was really getting the ball out there fast and then worked from the outside in, which I thought was an interesting way to approach the game. United States choosing to attack the outside pins before going back to the middle. That against all normal volleyball strategy. Most other strategies you hear you say you have to establish the middle early. We'll ask Lindsay Berg about that later in the show. You have to establish the middle early, then go to the outsides. Well, the United States went with the reverse tactic against France. Establish the outsides, then work back into the middle. So quite quite interesting to watch them do that. 
and very deliberate about it. Kavika Shochi did a great job of executing the game plan, and I thought sticking with the game plan. Always easier to stick with it when it's working, obviously. And then Brother Eric. Brother Eric Shoji did a great job of being in places where you wouldn't expect him and picking up the ball where you did not expect him. I think the United States defense, the United States transition attack, is going to have to get used to this. They're going to have to get used to the idea that the ball is going to come up in situations where they don't expect it. This is what Sergio has done for the last few years for Brazil, last 10 years. He reads the game. He freelances. He's working basically on his own within some sort of framework. But he is reading the game and reacting to the game in front of him, not just working on pen and paper game plan from earlier. He's given a tremendous amount of latitude, and I think you're going to see that from Eric Shoji. I think we're seeing a little bit of it already. He reads the game well. He's able to react. He's able to move around. He's able to predict where people are going to be, where the ball is going to end up, where it's going to bounce, what the hitter is going to do. Saw him make a lot of different plays. One of the things that impressed me the most was not only his ability to read, but his ability to control the ball with the contact. A lot of players can make a read. A lot of players can get to the ball, but a lot of players can't control the ball once they're there because they're there a little bit too late. They don't have good body position. Eric Shoji is showing that not only can he anticipate and read the game, but once he arrives at a spot, even if he's a little bit late, a little bit out of position, getting there quickly, he can control the ball. He can get a good quality contact on the ball. That is hugely important. Good point on the chat board. Eric Shoji was awesome, but his biceps are a thousand percent less intimidating than Rich Lamborn's. True. Rich Lamborn looks like an NFL fullback. But I think that the competition there is going to be great between Lamborn and Shoji. And I don't know who's going to come out on top. Obviously, the veteran Lamborn, we haven't seen him just yet. I imagine we will see him at some point this year. Word in the gym is that they are pushing each other. And that's a good thing. Competition at the spot is a good thing. We'd love to have a better player at every position. I think that's kind of the funny thing about these players we talk about at the highest level. These guys are the best at what they do in the United States. And yet, as a coach, as a fan, you always want them to be better. Oh, could have made one more play. Could have made this play. Could he do that a little bit better? And these guys are always working at it. But it's funny to have that, to have the best players in the world, and you want to have somebody better. The competition in the gym is going to produce somebody better. They're going to push each other. And at times, that has been lacking. The outside hitter position occasionally, at the opposite position occasionally, this is in the last 15 years, the setter position occasionally. 
it's always good to see the competition pushing things. The United States is going to be in action this coming weekend in Reno at the convention center, a couple blocks from the Silver Legacy. If you are anywhere near Reno, come in and see this team play. We talked about a couple of the outsides, Matt Anderson, Paul Lottman. There's a few other young outsides. Garrett Mwangatudia got an opportunity for a few points. He will get another opportunity. Just looked like nervous anticipation of his first opportunity. Tony Torelli was in there again. Carson Clark played it opposite for most of the weekend. He kind of struggled with his serve, but hit well. And then later on we saw a little bit more of Murphy Troy. The middles have been rotating around. We saw David Smith, Max Holt, and Russell Holmes this past week. Switched out from David Lee. Did not have David Lee this past weekend. I want to see what kind of changes Coach John Sparrow is going to make. I want to see where he's going to put the new guys. Who else do does he need to look at during this World League against a team as quality as Bulgaria, who currently is 4-0? A surprising 4-0 for Bulgaria, one of the most notoriously inconsistent teams in the world. Highly talented, but inconsistent. On the other side of the surprise factor sits 0-4 Poland. This is all inside of Pule of World League Volleyball. Poland. My pick for the best young team in the world, bar none. All of a sudden, 0-4, struggling. I'm not sure what's happening with Poland. But in the United States' is pool, Brazil 4-0. Bulgaria 4-0. The United States 3-1. Those two teams will face off in Reno over the weekend. Brazil will face France. That will be in Brazil. So France with a tough travel schedule. Come to the United States. then go a week off, then have Brazil. Very tough schedule for the French. You mentioned the previous weeks of the good schedule for the United States. Two home dates, a week off, another home date, and then overseas. Go into Poland to play, then back to Brazil, and then if they make the finals, on to Mar del Plata, Argentina. That's a pretty favorable schedule considering what's possible in the world of World League. Other surprising results from around World League. Serbia lost to Iran. Iran defeats Serbia. No one would have figured that, although I think Iran is starting to show that they're pretty dangerous. So 1-3 is Iran's record. This is Pool B. Now, mind you, remember the structure this year. Pool A, two teams from Pool A will go. That excludes Argentina. Argentina already in the finals. The two best teams from Pool A will arrive in the final. If Argentina is, say, the, the second best team, which right now doesn't look like they're going to be, but if they were, 
you would take the third-place team from Pool A. Pool B, you'll have two teams from Pool B. Right now, looking like Italy and Russia, both teams 5-1, and one. Serbia 3-3, three and three. and then Germany 2-2, two and two. Iran 1-3, and three. and Cuba 0-6. Oh, so Cuba and the defections continue to take the toll. Word has it their best player is not there. Wilfredo Leon. That they are struggling. 0-6 Cuba. So Cuba back to the drawing board once again. Germany taking care of them back on the 22nd and 23rd, 3-0-3-1. So Pool B looks like Italy and Russia will step in. Then you'll have one team from Pool C. This is kind of the also-ran pool. A good experience pool, and you can have a debate. What do you think out there? Do you think it's a good idea to have one team from a poor pool? Kind of the Ulcerans, Netherlands, Canada, Finland, Portugal, Korea, or Japan? Or would you want one more good team in there? Would you want to have the pools evenly divided, three even pools of six teams? So you would have perhaps the United States and one other good team in this pool C, and you would have two teams come out of there. Or do you like the format as it is now? And remember, it's six teams to the finals, not eight. This is a tournament that has had many different formats over the years. Right now, the Netherlands, 4-2. Canada, 4-2. Canada, a rising team. Watch for them to be a threat to the United States in the North Seca Championships this year. Big, physical, strong team. They showed some of that last year in the North Seca Olympic qualifier. Gave the United States more than they could handle, I thought, at some points during the match. The United States had to play well, and they did. That's how they secured that Olympic berth. Finland, Portugal, Korea, and Japan also in that pool. Now, this pool is kind of a little more parity. There's a little more parity in there. Top two teams, four and two. Then you have three and three in the middle, Finland and Portugal. Then Korea and Japan are two and four. A couple of wins over Finland, who currently sits third, by Japan. So congratulations, Gary Sato, on back-to-back 3-1 victories happening on the 15th and 16th of June. They will be back in action this weekend. Japan will play at Portugal. Korea hosts the Netherlands, and Finland hosts Canada. The United States has faced Finland before. Kind of an interesting place to go and play. There's your World League update. Remember, Reno this weekend. That's what's happening. If you are near Reno, you need to be at that event. George Washington needs a scholarship. If anyone has a scholarship, they're willing to give. George Washington will make an appearance, triangle hat and all, at Reno. Uh, Benny Lopes, I'm not sure if they will change the mascot to Matt Gardhoff himself. But look for more information about Matt Gardhoff. Coming up in the next issue of Volleyball Magazine. Thanks to Volleyball Magazine for supporting this show, hosting our website, and so on. We'll get to some other topics later. NBA Finals, I think we can bring that in and bring that into a volleyball context. Also, trading for a coach. Interesting. Young versus old. Doc Rivers headed to the L.A. Clippers here. Wish Jeremy was here to talk about that. I'm sure he'll have some comments next week. But the idea of Kevin Garnett coming in. There's been rumors that the Clippers are going to trade away Blake Griffin, the good young talent, and bring in Kevin Garnett, who's about 67 years old. I think we can talk about that in the context of the current USA men's national team, the futures of Reed Pretty, Clay Stanley, some of the women on the women's team, 
as they have continued to bring back veterans. Logan Tom comes to mind. And how do you balance that as a coach? How do you balance that with the future? Jay Hasek will join us later. I'm sure we will get on to those topics. But right now I want to bring in our first guest. Maybe you had an opportunity to see it. On our Facebook page, we posted the trailer for the upcoming Court and Spark, a documentary featuring all kinds of the biggest people in the sport. Lots of big names in this documentary, not just Courtney Thompson. Lots of other folks, Doug Beal, John Cook, lots of important people that have had influence on the sport over the last few years. He runs Volleyblog Seattle. He's married to the sister of a legend. His daughter Lauren played volleyball. His wife Leslie coached high school for a decade. He's been an announcer, a documentarian, produced documentaries on a variety of topics, since 1984, and his new documentary will premiere at the Final Four this December, held in his hometown of Seattle. Please welcome to the Net Live for the first time, Jack Hammond. Hey, good morning. Good morning, Jack. Thank you very much for uh, spending a little time with us. And uh, we had an opportunity to talk to Courtney last week. I know you listened in, and uh, she gave us some of the details on what you guys did, the fact you were out there for a month living with her. And uh, I wanted to start with where the idea came from to – put together a documentary about the sport of volleyball? Oh, it's a great question. So, you know, just like all of us who love volleyball, we spend probably way too much of our time sitting around complaining, how come the rest of the world doesn't pay more attention to this incredible sport? Because we all know that when people first get exposed to it, then what do they do? They get what? And so we've gone to the last eight uh, women's final fours, last couple men's final fours, and have noticed that the host host cities do an okay job. They do a great job, actually. But one thing they don't really do is give you a sense of what the sports is and what it means in their own local community. And that began this conversation to say, you know what, why don't we, when the final four comes to Seattle, do something that will last long beyond Seattle, and that is put together a, a, a high-quality documentary that essentially is something that, that coaches, players, parents, and, and the general public can take with them and say, what is it about this sport? What in the world has has driven uh, this to be a worldwide sport and, and now the, the tremendous growth that we see in, in the United States? Uh, as a way to start a conversation, as a way to get people uh, into the uh, into the sport, and uh, really we hope to just uh, invite a, a lot of people going, holy cow, I just didn't know that. Yeah, when it comes to the juniors community, my experience has been here are a bunch of kids, particularly on the female side, that spend a massive amount of time playing volleyball. But then when you ask them what they know about volleyball, whether it's college stars or particularly national team stars, their knowledge isn't very high. I mean, you guys have a very vibrant community there in the Pacific Northwest with junior girls volleyball. Do they have really any notion of what it means to go to the next level, whether it's college or pro? They do not. In fact, in the documentary, Courtney admits flat out that here's a kid who was a total gym rat who 
leads her team, uh, her club team, to a, a title. She leads her high school team to three titles. She's getting ready to go to the University of Washington, where she eventually would win a, a national championship, go to three Final Fours. And she said, I had no idea, zero idea, that there were uh, there was a life beyond that, that there was professional volleyball anywhere at any level. And she said she had no clue at all how the U.S. national team system worked and this was a kid who, you know, obviously was pretty plugged in. And we see that all the way along, that a kid who grows up playing baseball sort of gets it, where it's going. A kid who plays football, plays basketball, they get it. But in volleyball, we just don't have that, that stair step of saying, look what's the next level. Look what it takes to get to the next level. But frankly, look at all the opportunities at the next level. So few people have any clue that in the women's game, certainly not yet in the men's, but in the women's, how many just staggering numbers of, of scholarships are available out there? 10,000 so, yeah, Exactly. It's unreal. And people just don't get that. Um, and so this is, a, this is one of the goals of the documentary, is to give folks that sense. And if I may, let me just mention that, you know, who better for us than Courtney Thompson, because she did continue at every level. You know, not only did she do high school, club, college, uh, then she goes on. She's played pro um, uh, in Puerto Rico and several countries in Europe, obviously a member of the national team and eventually a member of the United States Olympic team. And so this local kid uh, is really this phenomenal spokesperson. How did you lay out the schedule of filming, and how did you get Courtney to buy into the the idea of being the subject of this documentary or one of the subjects? Uh, well, it's a great question. Um, first of all, when you say a subject, uh, any good story, whether we hear somebody telling one or you pick up a book or you watch a film or a documentary, has to have somebody that you care about. You can like them, dislike them, but at least you care what happens to them. You can't just throw a bunch of faces up there. And so Courtney is our, our sort of central guide and storyteller for this, and you're, you're going to see an awful lot of her. Um, so, you know, that's where we went to her and said, Court, would you be that person? The um, uh, the schedule is a great question because hey she's playing pro now she's playing in in Poland and we said we're gonna, we want to spend a lot of time with you there because we really want to know what it's like she says great come in February and we said February why February she goes because that's where the rubber meets the road you're already into the season you're long past Christmas so you've been home and now you got to come back and coming back to the U S is many months away. It's cold, it's lonely, there's like this world that nobody knows at that time of year for any of the, the men or women who play pro overseas, especially in Europe. And if you want to see what it's really like, come to Poland, in the center of Poland, in the middle of winter. And so that's why we chose February. Yeah, the center of anywhere pretty much in Central Europe is basically Cleveland. That's often how I describe it for people. If you go there in the winter, you may as well be spending the winter in Cleveland. The weather is about equivalent. Yep, and, and a nice contrast, too, of course. We were, as part of this documentary then, we, we went down to Anaheim for several weeks, and, and uh, Karch was just terrific. He just gave us a, a chance to, to really spend time again that the national team was reassembling the uh, women's team. Um, and uh, I should also mention that uh, we don't just make this about the women's game. We talk about um, the, the sport at several levels. Uh, and we have another terrific um, athlete from our area up here, Matt West, whom you may know. He's a, a setter uh, for Pepperdine, and uh, he's a local kid. 
uh, anyway, we, we really, really um, uh, got in Anaheim sort of the flip side of what makes it all worthwhile. Because you go from the, this, this cold, snowy, gray, industrial world where, you know, just getting to training every day is a big hassle and getting from one street to another. And then you're dude, on the beach, you know, she lives in Seal Beach. Yeah. She's there and it's, it's like, you know, hanging with her, her teammates on nights and weekends and the sun is shining. And so it's kind of got this, uh, at least as a film, it's got a really nice uh, contrast of the sorts of things that, that volleyball players can do. What did you and Leslie learn that you didn't know? What was your knowledge level uh, about international volleyball prior to this trip? Well, to be honest, uh, you mentioned that uh, my my wife Leslie, who's the photographer and editor for this, we're, we're, we've long been doing documentaries. But um, she comes from uh, this incredible volleyball family, which includes her brother Craig Buck, who volleyball folks will recognize as Karch and Steve Timmons' teammates throughout the 80s uh, and the winners of two gold medals uh, in uh, L.A. and in Seoul and a member of the Volleyball Hall of Fame. And Craig uh, played uh, professionally in, in both Japan and in Italy uh, for several years, and he played pro on the beach in the four-man game. And then Leslie's sister is, was Stacy Buck, now Stacy Sachs, lives in Colorado, uh, she played for Andy Manikowski just like Leslie did at UCLA. She played 10 years later and uh, then played professionally after her career. And so as personal matter, we got that glimpse of what it was like for both Craig and Stacy uh, to play overseas. And they both talked about how tough it could be. Uh, Stacy played in France, which was a lot more fun for her. Uh, Craig had difficulties with the language, especially in, in Japan, just getting through doorways in Japan. But, uh, you know, so we weren't, like, clueless on this. But on the right. other hand, yeah, the, maybe the most really important thing for us was something that we suspected all along, which is the passion that fans and media have for the sport in Europe. And it was really a trip to go to – she was in a town called Wuj, which is spelled – uh, L-O-D-Z, but L with a little slash, so it's the Polish. And, I mean, it's a, it's, that, that city is a whole story in and of itself, but it's, like, pretty gray and, and, and difficult, and yet you go to their fairly nice arena, and, man, they packed it, and people are acting like uh, it's a soccer match. They're painting their faces. They're screaming. They're yelling. they got their drums and cheers, and people are totally, totally into it. Uh, we see that at the elite um, collegiate uh, men's and women's games here, uh, but you just had, if you're an American, probably had no idea uh, the, the level of passion. And in many of these countries, it's second only to soccer, and uh, Americans don't realize that. Yeah, certainly volleyball, a huge sport worldwide. You're listening to it live. We're talking to Jack Hammond, documentarian and a film producer for the upcoming feature, Court and Spark all about the sport of volleyball. Jack, is is this one of those things that's going to be available on iTunes once it's out? This seems to be one of the, the newest distribution models. Sort of DVDs have gone by the wayside, and digital download is where it's at. Yeah, we are at this point in conversation with our potential broadcast partners. You know, uh, Let me say this about this documentary. Uh, we, we've really gotten a lot of wonderful cooperation and communication with uh, USA Volleyball, uh, all the way up and down the line, uh, also with the uh, with AFCA, the American Volleyball Coaches Association, and others who, who really agree with us on a big need for this. And so, um, frankly, we've had some preliminary contacts about uh, getting uh, 
uh, over-the-air broadcast as an initial way. But then we will distribute in the, the best and most modern methods that we can. We hope that one of the incentives for folks will be to pre-order uh, a hard copy like a DVD or a Blu-ray simply because then we can include uh, a lot of extras that aren't going to fit in the full hour. But there are some pretty amazing, you know, we've shot hundreds of hours of video, and there's some right. amazing stuff that we'd like to include there and also to get people to help with sponsorship. But you're absolutely right. You know, the real ending goal here is to get this out um, as far and wide as possible. And uh, iTunes and other distribution are all totally on the table right now for this. What I wanted to say was that where you may have all heard, you know, other projects are, are come and in some cases go. You hear other people talking about, I'm going to do this documentary or this reality TV show or whatever. And we've been in the business for 30 years. We've been doing documentaries for 20 of those years. And we know the value of having a deadline. And too many modern documentaries suffer from people saying, I'll get it there sometime when I meet some goal. And we said from day one, this thing will air. In fact, it's going to be featured prominently at the uh, AFCA convention here in Seattle with the Final Four. Uh, it will air this December. It will be available for people to see there and elsewhere. So um, that, we hope, will, will you know, maybe encourage people to, to really look for it instead of vaguely thinking, yeah, this thing's out there. So whatever the distribution method, we're going to make sure after December it gets out far and wide. You mentioned USAV and the other partners that are out there potentially for a project like this, and they recognizing the importance of this. One of the issues I've had in the volleyball community is getting people to put their money behind that instead of just product or support or, yeah, go get them attitude. Have you been able to secure funding from any of the big organizations out there in the world of volleyball? Yeah, ALCA has already stepped forward. And we're in final negotiations with a, uh, a ball manufacturer, so I can't use their name yet. I wish I could, yeah. but we're, we're getting close. Um, and, you know, frankly, uh, yes, there are, you know, there is interest. We will get it funded. It, we're, we're doing it as a partnership with the Puget Sound region of USA Volleyball. Folks who may not know, you know, USA Volleyball is split up into individual autonomous regions throughout the country. And the one that represents our region up here is a 501c3 nonprofit, so people who want to make um, sponsorships can go directly to them um, on this. But the, 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 the bigger question is goes all the way back to the first thing you and I talked about today, and that is how often do all of us sit around and say, you know, I wish somebody would do something about this. I wish people would, would really get out the bigger message. And, and you know, the NetLive is a, is a huge step in that direction. Volleyball Magazine is a huge step in that direction. Uh, we want to bring the power of good storytelling on video into this world. Um, and to do that, you have to be kind of forward-thinking. you got to be somebody who loves the sport. you got to be somebody who says, look, you know, if we invest in this and we make this, you know, documentary widely available, it's going to end up spurring the kind of conversation and talking in people's interest um, that, that we've been hoping for for a long time. And I think that's that's true. It's legitimate, you know, we – we did a documentary years ago on Title IX, and we used the, at that time, the national champion University of Washington women's volleyball team as they went and toured China as the hook. And to this day, six years later, that video is still shown widely. It's still uh, part of the NC2A's uh, curriculum for Title IX. And so, you know, like this, 
that, uh, something like this can have power for you know years and years and years to have that kind of conversation. So yeah, you mentioned- uh, people who may want to sponsor, absolutely, that's exactly right. Sorry, go ahead. Well, your company is No Little Things Productions, and you mentioned your experience. I count 16 documentaries here on your site dating back to 1984 on a variety of different subjects. I mean, one of the more interesting ones, if you're a fan of the Olympics, would probably be Mary and Zola, Zola Bud. Oh, yeah. and, uh, uh, Mary's last name is escaping me at the moment, although I can see her right there. Uh, but it's, uh, Mary it, it's Decker. A, Mary Decker. Decker. Yeah. Decker Slaney, wasn't it at the time? Slaney. I think yep. it was. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole bunch of different. Oh, good. Yeah, tell, tell me about the Zola. What did you learn from some of those? Oh, man, Marion Zola was great. So um, I, I spent some time in Eugene. I went to grad school at the University of Oregon. And, um, you know, just as a, as a casual jogger, we'd see all these these world-class athletes there all the time, Alberto Salazar and, of course, Mary and many of the others. And this huge thing happens at the Olympics. And if folks don't remember, she was – she was like the Sports Illustrated Athlete of the Year. She owned every single distance record from, I think, the the uh, the, the uh, one mile all the way up to, like, the 10K or something, maybe not that far. Anyway, she was just this unbelievable stud. And this is Mary I'm talking about. But she also had this kind of tumultuous relationship with people and the press and all. And this little barefoot runner down in South Africa by the name of Zola Butt, literally barefoot, that's how she ran, was caught up at the time in the whole politics of apartheid where South Africa couldn't participate. And so the L.A. Olympics became the first time these two incredible athletes could meet up. And in the third lap of a four-lap race, the two of them were easily the favorites. They ended up colliding. And Mary pitches to the track, and she's out of the race. And it was this ugly, ugly scene that, that follows as she's just, you know, screaming incriminations at Zola. Well, anyway... So a few months later, I realized that really no one had gotten onto the how and why. And so we ended up going all over the world, really, chasing Zola and eventually getting this wonderful long interview with her. And then with the Today Show, NBC's Today Show uh, support, we ended up doing a, a documentary that involved Mary and Zola and their reflection on the differences between the two of them, which were really exciting and interesting, and their own take on the event. And in the end, they both ended up blaming uh, somebody else, a third person, Wendy Sly, who was a British runner who had made some illegal move. But the whole uh, uh, time spent with these really extraordinary athletes, Mary and Zola, uh, was, was really one of the, uh, the, the highlights of that documentary list that you say because uh, athletes have, have really so much to offer beyond what we usually see in just the, the, uh, the, the regular live game coverage. Um, yeah, it seems you know, like a 30 for 30. Before that, yeah, well, that exists. yeah, and if I have any complaint, it's that there aren't enough thirty for thirty. You know, um, right. a, a Pac-12 network, for example, who are doing a great job moving volleyball up on their schedule and getting a lot of matches. Pac-12 network still has not taken the step of doing anything other than live matches, and I think it's a financial thing at this point. Um, but do you really get to know these great athletes? Do you get to know Inky at Stanford? Do you get to know? Kelly Reeves at UCLA and Krista Van Sant, not really. All you get are these little, you know, 30-second quick-cut things. And uh, that's part of the advantage that basketball and baseball and football have right now is a lot of us know those athletes. Well, after this documentary that we're doing, people are going to know Courtney Thompson. And lover or hater, you're going to have an opinion about her and you're going to care, you know, where she goes from now on. Um, and, and that's what every sport needs, and that's what we're trying to bring to this. 
That's what we asked her last week, is if she was certain whether she'd been cast as the villain or as the heroine in uh, this reality <laughs> TV-type world. Well, you know, the thing is, Courtney, if you don't know her yet, and I think if you don't, you're, you really missed on something. Um, she's somebody who, if you're a coach, you, you just want to have on your team. And this is a true story. Our daughter, who ended up being a four-year letterman at UCLA in rowing, of all things, but she was a club player in volleyball growing up, and she was at the same time as Courtney. And uh, her team, our daughter's team and Courtney's team, would always get to the finals in the regions of these club contests, and every time Courtney's team would win, 2-0 or 2-1, because they played best of three. So finally we get to this big match, and they're, they're, I think our daughter's a senior, and our daughter's team wins the first set. And it's like, oh, my God, you know, could we beat Courtney's team? As we're switching sides, little old Courtney Thompson goes over and takes her fist and pounds it on one of the chairs and turns to her teammates and says, we are not going to lose to these guys. So my wife and I looked at each other and we said, oh, my God, I would love to have that girl on my team. You know, she's such a <laughs> one out there. It's an incredible thing. And, of course, Courtney, as she often does, leads them on to victory. Well, I, just to tell you, we interviewed several other USA team members about substantive issues, but we also asked them about Courtney. And two of them were in tears as they talked about what she means to them and what she brings to the game and what she brings to um, the, her approach, her, her attitude, the, 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 not just the time and hours that she puts in, but the quality of the time and the hours. And, you know, one of them, as you will see, is this, big studly middle, Crystal Harmato, another Olympian. And she could hardly contain herself during the interview. She's got tears coming down because she was so, she, she was and is so moved by all that Courtney Thompson brings to, to sports and, and, and to a team. And so in a lot of ways, and she's certainly that up here in Washington, this is somebody who is a role model. She's five foot seven and change. Everybody told her at every level, you're never going to make it to the next level, that she's, a, she's an Olympian. She's an Olympian. And, you know, uh, when the, the, the starting setter was out and they had, a, they had to win in the quarters, Courtney led them to a, a, a big old victory and, and, and bloody nose and all and was just a huge part of that team. And I think people are going to see that. And, again, she will start conversation about what it means. So, yeah, we're going to have um, her. We're going to have her teammate Lindsey Berg here on the show later and talk about the Olympics, talk about uh, Lindsey's future now, but that's the player who was out and Courtney ended up yep. subbing in for. Hey, being, let me, being let me a great teammate. you got a quick time for a quick, quick Lindsey comment. Lindsey pulled yep. Courtney aside while Courtney was still number five on the on the list. Uh, you know, she still had uh, Alicia Glass ahead of her and Nellie Spicer ahead of her. And, you know, and, and so she was, she was like the bottom. And, and, Lindsay pulled her aside and said, Courtney, what are you doing? Why do you even try? You know, why, why are you here? And, and this was only about maybe six months before the Olympics. And, and Courtney's long answer was, is really one of the highlights of the documentary, is what she turns around and tells Lindsay about what, what got her there. And certainly it did. It got her there. Yeah, being a teammate is, is not easy. Being a leader is, is even harder. And when it comes down to being teammates, you and your wife are teammates in this documentary production uh, business that you guys have. You said that the kind of the, Leslie is the production side and you're the interview side. 
What have you learned about each other in producing all these documentaries together? There must have been moments when you weren't great teammates and other times when you, you looked at your teammate <laughs> and said, you're really awesome. <laughs> oh, my God, that's the greatest question. I don't think I've ever been asked that. I love that question. Um, well, first of all, um, you know, <laughs> when the topic is volleyball, Leslie is the stud. She played it. She coached it. She coached it at a high level. You know, we both raised athletes, but, you know, she's the bomb, so she did all that. So, substantively, um, she's she's really the pro there. Um, you know, I, this is a job that I've been doing in particular my whole life, uh, uh, producing documentaries and, and journalism, and we wrote a book together uh, on another topic. So, you know, you add all that up, and it's like, I think, with a team, is that you, you first acknowledge each other's strengths, and you say, okay, this is what you do well, this is your category, what can I do to to, to, to help with that and vice versa, which which I do. Um, but, you know, I, I lo- let me say, it's interesting you say that because we've gotten over the years to know a lot of good coaches, a lot of great coaches. So Carl McGowan and Hugh McCutcheon and um, Karch and Doug Beal and, um, uh, you know, just on and on and on, Mark Dumphy, Jim McLaughlin. And in getting to know these guys and listening to the way they talk about how they conduct these high-level teams, it's no stretch to tell you that the lessons they teach, we do end up applying in our own lives, in our own business. And so we even named our company after something that people say all the time. Even though we don't just do volleyball, you might recognize, I'm sure if you know volleyball, that phrase, there are no little things. And so we call our company No Little Things Production. So, yeah, we, Leslie and I, working as a team, I think, apply those lessons all the time about, you know, how you set goals, how you um, how you embrace mistakes. It's one of my favorite things about sports is that the really highly successful people don't run away from mistakes. The highly successful athletes say, hey, here's a chance to learn. Here's a chance for me to, to improve. And people like that really, really love and embrace training because they know they get chances to make mistake after mistake after mistake instead of freaking out and saying, oh, I made a mistake, I'm running away. Um, now, having said all that, I, I will say that our defense, Leslie and I have been married 37 years, so something must be working. But on the other hand, yeah, when you're working with your spouse and our desks are inches away from each other and it's 24-7, there are moments. And when we're in Poland and we're tired and it's a long way away and it's cold and freezing, yeah, there's moments, <laughs> but you got to fight through them. Undoubtedly, undoubtedly. Well, Jack Hammond, thanks so much for spending some time with us. If people want to get involved, if they want to sponsor the upcoming Court and Spark, or they want to watch the trailer, where do they need to go? Okay, um, well, there's lots of ways to, to get into it. We do a blog here that we are getting more and more uh, uh, viewers for and, and uh, eyes on it. It's called Folly Blog. Seattle, and you can Google that. That's the easiest way. Just blog that, and there are all the links are there to Court and Spark and everything else. And um, uh, we cover volleyball in the Northwest, but really it ends up being volleyball throughout the the, the country. We're in partnership with the Seattle Times. Um, the website that has the link on it is very easy to find. So Court and Spark, where it's a take on the old Joni Mitchell song, uh, uh, you can you can Google that. And, and what you'll see is you, you were kind enough to mention, and we've seen a lot of people put it on their sites, which is awesome. Do it. Uh, the uh, trailer, it gives you a better idea of some of the video we've done already. Uh, and then 
we're going to be uh, continuing to update the sponsorship. Look, this week, um, you know, I'll keep coming back because we have premiums, things like that, that people can get um, uh, if they contribute at various levels and, um, uh, you know, really help support that. So I appreciate you asking that because that's what makes these things work. Um, it's not like somebody hands you money and says, oh, go do a documentary. It doesn't work that way. you got to be passionate about it and then go out and get the money. Well, Jack Hammond, thanks for taking action and putting together what promises to be a fantastic volleyball documentary. I look forward to seeing you sometime this year when I'm up there uh, at Washington to do some, some matches awesome. there for the Huskies. Hey, and we All right. get down there a lot, too, so we'll look for you there, too. All right, man. Yeah, definitely. Let's uh, let's hook up, and we'll talk about some volleyball. We'll probably be able to kill off an hour or two, no doubt. We'll kill the half uh, hour here a little bit. in a hurry. <laughs> Great, very good. That's Jack safe. Hammond, thanks very much. We'll talk to you. All right, Jack Hammond checking in from Seattle. That's Court and Spark. And do yourself a favor. Go watch a trailer. Go check this trailer out, because this is not your usual volleyball documentary, and I've seen a few. Just a few, and I've seen a few volleyball films, uh, let's say, based on reality or some not based on reality, and the production value that uh, Jack and Leslie are putting into this uh, really is fantastic. You can see their experience. You can see their their vision and everything that they put into this documentary. It, uh, it, it promises to be very cool. Uh, the NetLive will be there in Seattle for the Final Four. Uh, to see that, to see the premiere, uh, you ought to, if you have the opportunity, support it. It, it looks cool it's something that this sport definitely needs and I'm, I'm interested to see if the junior kids consume it i think they ought to we'll see if they do it uh, but the junior knowledge and i'm glad we asked jack about that and i've asked lots of other coaches and folks in the junior world about that about the knowledge that particularly girls juniors have of international volleyball or even just college volleyball which is close and too many times, it's very little. So I hope an effort like this will go a long way uh, to helping that increase and help the visibility of the sport increase. Hey, when we come back, we'll have uh, Jay Hosick checking in as co-host for the second hour. We'll also have some audio from the weekend. Had a chance to catch up with a few players, uh, Matt Anderson, Paul Lottman, and the like, uh, over there in uh, Tulsa. We'll have some audio from the World League weekend last weekend. Remember, Reno coming up this weekend. That and much more coming up on the Net Live along with Lindsey Berg. You don't want to miss it. The Net Live, Kevin Barnett, right back.
Back into the net live here on Volleyball Magazine. You listen to Crystal Fighters. That's at home if you want to check that out. Good uh, good new band. Interesting hit that they have there at home. A little bit different than some of the rest of their album. One of those bands maybe. We'll have to see. But big thanks to Volleyball Magazine for their support of this show. As well as Aspire Institute and others. Hurley, the ABCA. Everybody who's uh, stepped up to help this program continue. And we'll now bring into the show a voice familiar to most of you. And a... Uh, chat board guy familiar to most of you if you've been on the chat board jay hosick sometimes co-host what What is going on barney how are you well you've been on the show in a while man i've seen you on the chat board there and you know of course you had your run to the the final four for the 475th time but it's been a little bit since we heard from you now used to hearing from you weekly i know you know i'm used to being on a show weekly i miss being on a show i was actually out in southern california these past couple weeks uh doing some recruiting and Working with the junior national team, we're getting ready for the world championships in Turkey. So I was out there, and unfortunately, you didn't have a show last Monday. Otherwise, I would have been in the studio if I could, but uh, you decided to postpone it on me. So I'm back home now. I just got in this morning. Yeah, you could have been in studio along with my kids. That would have been really, really good. I think we would have incurred at least <laughs> one FCC fine. It definitely would have happened. Oh, that would have been fun, though. We would have played like some Tecmo Bowl in the background, and uh, they would have been yelling and screaming. It would have been good. Oh, bottom line, Super Tecmo Bowl definitely would have been played. It got played yesterday. I watched Bo Jackson go for about uh, 275 yards. He's uh, unbelievable in that game. <laughs> oh, God, how much fun was that as a kid to play that game and then beat Bo Jackson and just run rickshaw all over everybody on the on the field? Yeah, when that thing came out, that was the the bomb. That was the best football game ever for many, many years and, and still is in the discussion. Anytime you hear somebody mention a video football game, Super Tech Mobile is always on the list. How how cool would it be? And, and I've talked about this. You know, Jack made a statement, and that statement really rings true to me. There's, He said, uh, you know, it's time that people stop saying, wouldn't it be cool if this happened? Or, you know, wouldn't, wouldn't that be cool if somebody did this? How, how hard is it to make a volleyball game 
that would appeal to the masses that's not cartoonized, like the whole, you know, the two-on-two outlaw volleyball with the chicks in the bikinis. I'm talking a real indoor six-on-six. You can create plays. You can create routes. It could be like Madden football. And granted, Madden's got all the all the resources and the money, but I'm sure there's got to be somebody somewhere that can make something that would be fun to play that could get people interested. I mean, I, I've got in my office, I have uh, an old Sega Genesis, and I have the original yep. Super Spike Volleyball, the four-on-four side view. You could run back row. You could run front right. row. You can run quick, X. X's, all kinds of fun stuff. Yeah, we used to take that one in junior college in and play it all the time. There's also Super Spike Volleyball that was out for the original NES platform. Yeah. Uh, one, one available on uh, Amazon Prime. It's Prime eligible, forty nine eighty nine. if you want to take home Super <laughs> Spike Volleyball for the NES. You have to have an NES that works. I wonder what Tech Mobile costs. Are you I'm kidding me? You could, pick a, you could pick a used one up for like 8 bucks. I bet. Tecmo Super Bowl on Amazon right now, $250. Are you serious? I might have to tell the kids, I'm sorry, guys, I sold it. 250 bucks. <laughs> <laughs> No, that's actually for a new one. There's 45 used for uh, $14. You can pick one yeah. up for $14 here or there. But there if you, you want go. a brand new one, then you're going to have to pay $250. You know, there is one. I, I actually got uh, in my old PlayStation 2, I picked up one that I ordered from Japan that was indoor 6 on 6, and it wasn't, you know, it was kind of kind of a half-ass type game where, you know, you had the, the indoor thing going on, but you had to have the converter on your PlayStation in order to play this game because obviously it's a Japanese game and it was okay for a little bit but it was nowhere near that the realism of that four on four was so good and there's gotta be a way to do it. And I played that NES one that you're talking about, the Super Spike Indoor. It's okay. It's it's not, you know, anything great. Yeah, a friend of mine has but the actual stand up has the actual arcade game of Super Spike volleyball that you can play four on four as a four person game. We used to have it in the basement there in Colorado for a long time and we would play it when we had folks over. There's also Kings of the Beach. If you go back there, Professional Beach yep. Volleyball, it's got the AVP logo on it. It has yep. on the cover, let's see, Sinjin Smith and uh, Randy Stoklos on the cover with some seriously 80s graphics going on. There is a, a buddy of mine named Jason Hilbert up in Northern California. He is building or has built an actual arcade game replica of that Super Spike Volleyball. And I think he put, like, a computer monitor in there, and it has all the setups and the buttons and everything, but it's a different monitor, of course, and it's awesome to look at. I can't wait to play that thing. Yeah, the Genesis one, I remember playing that one. That was pretty fun. It, it had basically the uh, the 84 men's team, although with all different names, like Sugar. You could put Sugar in to serve instead of Sato or something. Yes, yes. And it had a... I had and not Stork, but I had like a Stark and Honda yeah. and Toyota were all the guys for Japan and uh, yeah, that was awesome. And then they run back with their their fist pumping when they make a good serve or a good spike. Right, and of course there was the dead bug. If you hit somebody in the face, if you put delivered a facial, the guy laid there on his back <laughs> with his arms and his legs up in the air like a dead bug. Yeah, and there were three or uh, was it no? There were two different like uh, secret serves. There was the one that was the sky ball that would go way up above and it would it would take you out of the screen where you couldn't see the players. And then there was the, um, it's like a, an electrified flow serve where it would go up and then it would go wah, 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 and it would make the zigzag move and it was nearly impossible. But you only got one of each per set. 
And so you had to save them for those special moments. If you want to pick up your copy of Super Volleyball, that's what it's called there for Sega Genesis, it will cost you $4.40. It is Prime eligible. But you have to have a Genesis. And I used to have a Genesis until Greg Romano never returned it after borrowing it. So you're on notice, Greg Romano, row, row, that I want my Genesis back. Speaking of Greg Romano, weren't you, uh, weren't you uh, Facebooking some video of you uh, whacking the, uh, the big stick there and talking to Greg Romano about your uh, slice and your drive? Oh, yeah. Greg Romano gave me a driver many years ago called Mr. Big. And it actually says Mr. Mr. Big, Big on the bottom. That's right. There's a joke yeah. there, man. I still can't remember where it is, but there's a joke there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I was out there hitting balls uh, this week. Actually, my sons all of a sudden got golf crazy. So I played golf six days in the last week. Uh, so eat your hearts out, Louis Ball, Riley Salmon, and Ryan Millar, and all the rest who love to golf. <laughs> I was out there six days hitting balls. We hit, uh, I think it was grand total, 1,100 balls at the driving range. And that's not an exaggeration. That's the actual number because they have two for one at the lakes at El Segundo. You can get 420 wow. balls for 20 bucks if it's uh, 6 to 10 a.m. on a Monday through Friday. Wow. So we did that a few that times is. in addition to playing the course. I did drive the green 265 yards, drove the green. Nice. That nice. was pretty nice. I was happy with that. Best golf shot I've ever had, I think. Boy, that's pretty. I think the best drive I've ever had was about 290, and uh, I closed my eyes when I did it, and uh, it was pretty good. Other than that, I got a little slice to my game. I actually, uh, uh, the assistant coach for the men's golf team is a good friend of ours. He comes over for dinner, and the women's assistant golf coach here at Penn State just moved in across the street. So I'm getting lessons from both those guys. And uh, I'm, i i got to work on my game. You know, if I'm going to keep up with Loy and Arnie and all those guys during JOs, I have got to get my game tight. So uh, hoping to work on some of that this summer. Excellent, excellent. Well, hey, you had an opportunity to listen to Jack Hammond and about yeah. Courtney Thompson. She's one, one of the cooler kids that, that I've met. Uh, it, it must be something about setters because Lindsey Berg, who's coming up here in about 20 minutes, is another one of those kind of cool, interesting kids to talk to. Uh, and you had some thoughts on Courtney and your interaction and your time on the national team. You know, i tell you what, Courtney Thompson, um, I got invited by Hugh and Karch to be an assistant coach for the Pan Am Games two years ago down in uh, Guadalajara, Mexico. And uh, the coaching staff was uh, Andy Banikowski was the head coach, and then Mike Hebert and myself were the assistant coaches. And I'll tell you, uh, just sitting in a room listening to those guys talk about, you know, the history of, the, of volleyball that they've seen and all the things that they've been a part of is was pretty cool in itself, but actually getting to work with them and uh, and give some input was even funner. But, you know, here's, here's the thing about Courtney. So that team was kind of uh, uh, the B squad of sorts, I guess you can call it. Uh, some girls that were on the A team but maybe were working their way back in, some girls that were in consideration for the Olympics. And our two setters were Carly Lloyd and Courtney Thompson. And Carly Lloyd, obviously, just out of Cal, uh, just graduated, and Courtney Thompson had been uh, in the mix for a few years and had been doing her thing. And, you know, we get down to the games, and, and we, the thing was is Courtney was really good with location, but obviously she was a little bit of a blocking liability for us. And, you know, Carly put up uh, a nice hittable ball, but she was much more of a presence at the net, at least the first couple matches were. And so we went to the tournament. And Carly Lloyd had ended up being the kid that we, we gave the nod to because she just she gave us some, some, some defense that we needed at, at the net. And so 
we get to the bronze medal match, and we're playing the Dominican Republic. And there's no love loss between the two programs, obviously. And, you know, we want to beat them pretty bad every time we see them. And it's their A team. It's, the, it's their best team that they send to the Olympics. And so, you know, we go into the match, and, and the staff is talking about, hey, do we, do we leave Carly in there and, and, you know, give us some, some blocking moves, or do we put Courtney in there and have a little bit better offense? We thought, yeah. well, let's just go with Carly. Let's see, let's see what happens with her. If she's putting up good balls, we're gonna we're gonna stay with her because she gives us a better block. So we go through the first first step, and Carly's okay. She's not bad, but she's you know she's a little bit erratic here and there. And Courtney is at the end of the bench now. To her credit, she knows she's got more experience, and she knows that she can do all the things that we're looking for. But she is being the best teammate known to man. She is yelling and cheering and helping out during timeout. She's doing all the things that you want your kids to do. So that by itself really lends to a personality, you know, as, as a team member. And so we get ready to go into the second game. I think we lose the first set. And we get ready to go into the second game. And Courtney walks up to Mike and I, and she goes, "You and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to, you know, childlike, childproof this statement, but you put me in the game and we're going to win. Don't let me sit on the sidelines. And she walks away from us, and both my keeper look at each other and go, yeah, why not? Let's go for it. So we throw her in there. <laughs> she single-handedly takes us back, and we end up winning the match. And they, in the, in the fourth set, they just kept trying to go high ball to the outside where Courtney was, and all she would do is she would just go up with everything she had. She'd put her hands in a really good spot, and the outside hitter would just try to crush it over and she'd slow it down and we'd transition and get a point. And she was awesome. And at the end of the match, both Mike Hubert and I in the, in the, in the team meeting afterwards just went, you know what, uh, you earned our respect so much tonight because of the fact that you were, you were a good teammate to start, but you wanted to get in there and you just you, you steadied the team out and helped us get that win. And that was, that's an odd credit to her. She is, what, five foot. Seven, five, eight, five, yeah. nine. I don't know. I don't want to yeah. do her a disservice. But, no, no, seven. And, you know, she's not. She's not a big jumper. But man, does she play the game at a high level? And I know why Karch and View and all those guys kept her over the years because she is absolutely a fireball. And you got to have her on your team. She would be. She'd be on my co-ed team, no questions asked, in a men's game. Nice. You can put her up there with Leanne Sato, the other uh, woman I would pick in a, a co-ed matchup, definitely. Uh, news on the women's team. There you go. News on the women's team. They won the Pan Am Cup and swept Dominican Republic to do so. Good matches. Uh, interesting roster when you go down the list here. Alicia Glass at setter. Cassidy Lickman out of Stanford now an outside hitter. Lauren Gibblemeyer yep. from Minnesota. Megan Hodge from yep. Penn State, the only Olympian on the roster. Caleb Banwarth out of Nebraska. Nicole Fawcett yep. played well at opposite. Kim Hill out of Pepperdine. Yep. Uh, apparently, grades not an issue when it comes to national team eligibility. Lauren Paolini out of Texas. Uh, Jenna Hagland from Washington, the other setter. Rachel Adams. Kristen Hildebrandt, who I think is going to have a good year. Watch that. She's my sleeper for the year. That's Kristen Richards Hildebrandt, although can we just stick with one name, please, if you're Kristen Jenna Hildebrandt now? Yeah. No. And Kelly Murphy makes a, a sudden reappearance here out of Florida, so a couple years removed from her college career. Yeah, so those girls yeah. were in the gym when I lived there last week. They're uh, they're working hard, and 
You know, there's some good, there's some good girls on that group. I I, I could not be uh, more excited for those girls in the upcoming tournaments here. There are 30 women in the gym. When you go down there, it is amazing how many women are in the gym and playing for Team USA right now on the men's side yeah. of things. It, uh, it, it's absolutely amazing. Well, there's, there's pretty close to that number on the men's side, too. So, Yeah, it's an interesting time, I think, for both teams. Uh, but I've, uh, I've said before and continue to believe that the USA women's gym is the most talented gym in the world. There's, there's no way – maybe Brazil – would have a lot of talent floating around their gym, but I, I don't quite think it's as deep as the United States. I mean, the United States took their B team last year and won Grand Prix leading into the Olympic Games, the entire B team, and then was the yeah, best team I, in the Olympic Games. So I just, I've, I've never seen more talent in one place in any male or female gym. I saw the, I was, I was in the training room as I was getting ready to, to start with the, the junior team, and a lot of the girls were getting back in the gym, just going to get a workout in for that day, and they weren't going to play. And, and I was asking them, you know, how to go at the, you know, obviously they won the the, the tournament they were in just recently, and you know they said that there was a moment that after the whole tournament had finished that they all kind of looked around at each other and went, we're gonna be really good. And you know, granted, I think I think they had that confidence, you know, when Hugh took over. I think he, you know, changed some culture around and 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 kind of got some girls that were. Um, you know, maybe in the not in the mix, in the mix. Maybe some girls that were in the mix, not in the mix, and and made some changes. And the girls are really happy right now. They're they're just excited to be in the gym. They're working hard, uh, and there's just a real cohesiveness about it all. And to hear a team feel a that they're having fun, but b excited because they know that they have some really good players in the gym and they're going to be a, a good team. That's exciting. And anybody who likes watching USA volleyball. This is this is one of those quads where, you know, you're going to have a women's team that has something to prove and a men's team that's going over a metamorphosis of sorts. And so there's going to be a lot of fresh faces on that side of the net. It's just really neat. It's a neat time to be involved with USA Volleyball, that's for sure. Yeah, it is a neat time to be an athlete. I remember when I started, the training center looked kind of cool. You're like, yeah, we're at the Olympic Training Center and, and awesome. But the services and the thought process behind uh, the teams and the the system that's been created down there in Anaheim is so far beyond anything that we ever did at the training center as far as nutrition and video and daily schedule and recovery when it comes yeah. to training and recovery, whether it's food or modalities when it comes to icing and ice packs and compression therapy and all that stuff has come so far in the last 15 years uh, since my career in, in 97. It, it's simply amazing. Yeah. see what yeah. services and, are available now. And it's really, you know, I still don't think there's enough, but it's a really unique opportunity for coaches uh, of all levels to go in, watch how they run practice, watch what they do in drills. I mean, it's not, you know, if, if you're a young juniors coach, if you're a brand-new high school coach, it doesn't matter what level. If you go in and you watch the way that they train, the way that they warm up with ball control, the way that they, they run drills, the way that they train the fundamentals and the techniques, you are going to gain so much that you're going to go back to your program with an enthusiasm that's just through the roof. And I'm really surprised. There's a, there's a decent number of coaches that are floating around at, at, at any various time, but I'm surprised that it's not jam-packed. I'm surprised there's not bleacherfuls of people in there just soaking it all in because every day the first half hour, hour is going to be ball control training, 
And then the next hour to two hours is all six-on-six stuff, and it's so exciting to watch. I'm really surprised there's not more people in there. Jay, is that attitude still out there, the it, it doesn't apply to my level or I have nothing to learn, the national team doesn't know anything about coaching high school, I can't I can't take anything from a national team gym and apply it to my my girls team in, in Idaho or, or whatever. Is that still out there? Because I've had that perception for a long time that I don't think I, the say, knowledge and the abilities of the international coaching staff and players are really appreciated at the other levels. I'll tell you what, it's – I think there's a hesitation from the younger coaches or newer coaches because they don't want to feel like they're imposing. And I know that that was, you know, the common phrase whenever a coach would come up to the whiteboard and would, and would say, you know, would, would want to know about what we wrote down on the board. Their first question or first statement was, hey, I'm really sorry to bother you, but would you mind if I asked you a question about something? And nine times out of ten, if their timing is right, if they pick a time when it's, you know, after practice or before practice or, you know, there's there's somebody else running the drill and there's a coach that's kind of idle staying there, they're going to be more, more than willing to help you out with that question. As long as it's not a half-hour drawn-out statement, you know what I mean? If it's, hey, hi, why did you run this drill this way? It's, it's a 30-second response. And all it does is it endears that coach that much more because now they're feeling like they're able to be let inside the walls, so to speak. And I know that you know, they're not going to talk about every single thing, but there's some basic stuff in there that, you know, there's some coaches running around that know what's going on. Feel free to ask. I mean, I, 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 would, I would suspect that if you're in there and, you know, they're in the middle of a 6v6 drill, I don't think they're going to stop the drill in order to answer your question about why they run this, <laughs> this way. But, yeah. but you know, if people have common sense. And, you know, they, they, the kids are off getting water and the coach is just standing there doing nothing. You know, maybe ask them, hey, can I ask you a question? And maybe they say, sure, or maybe they say, hey, I'll be born willing to talk to you afterwards. But, you know, that's, that's, I think, why you don't see a lot of coaches going in there and soaking all that in because they feel that it's such a sacred ground that there's just no way for them to get involved. And that's just not the case, I don't think. I, I mean, you know, maybe I'm wrong, but I know that when she was doing it and somebody would come in, you know, either she would answer the question or Karch would answer the question or I would answer the question or somebody else would be able to answer it. And, and the coach just really felt, you know, thankful for all that stuff. And I think that's, I think that's huge. We should be able to, to share those, those kinds of thoughts and, and, uh, and training techniques with everybody that comes in. We're not, no, we're not rocket scientists, Barney. We're definitely not uh, rocket scientists. No, there's not a lot of rocket scientry going on inside of a volleyball gym. That, maybe that's why that that, perva- that attitude is a bit pervasive, that, oh, I don't have anything to learn because it's just volleyball. It's just passing. We can just pass and, and block, and it, it's just so simple. But the idea of trying to get whatever age you have kids to execute that plan, much less adults. I mean, to watch the national team work on trying to get adults, young adults, to execute a game plan or execute a skill technically in the way they ought to is, is challenging. So if you're a juniors coach, I think you still have something to learn from, from what's going on because it certainly isn't perfect at the higher levels and certainly it yeah. applies. Hey, speaking of the yeah. highest level, the NBA finals were this past week, finally concluded an exciting game seven and the evil empire won. The evil <laughs> empire took home another championship. I, I think Wait, BYU was, was that- playing basketball. That's right. BYU was in the NBA Finals. It was, uh, Taylor Sander was the MVP. Uh, no, they. Uh, I just wonder that attitude. Like that's definitely out there. People cheer against the Heat. They're not even so much cheering for the Spurs as they're cheering against the Heat. And I wondered if there was a volleyball equivalent. 
Was UCLA that way at some point on the men's side? Was Penn State that way recently on the women's side? Or is there another example? Do either of those two apply? Or is there another example of a, a team that's a little bit of the black hats? Mm, that's, a good, that's a good question. I think, you know, I, I think anytime there's, I don't want to say a dynasty, because I don't think the Miami Heat are necessarily a dynasty yet, but, you know, there's Laker haters out there, there's Dallas haters, you know, Dallas Cowboy haters, and, you know, I think anytime you have a team that is winning, uh, and winning on a regular basis, there's going to be people that are going to be anti. And, you know, I'm sure when UCLA was winning all their championships back in the day, there were people that just wanted to see them lose. They didn't care who was playing against them. I'm sure that when Penn State was on their four-peat four run, there were teams that were not real happy about them winning all the time. I know I got emails from people when that bracket came out on their last one, and they were saying, geez, you know, it's a, it's a shoe-in to get into the Final Four. And it's like, no, it's not, people. You know it's not. And, you know, are, are, are there some easier matches? Maybe. Sure. it's good, But you still have to win them nonetheless. And, you know, I, I, I just – I think there's some healthiness in that. I think it, 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 it gives people a reason to watch, and isn't that what we really are doing is trying to put butts in the stands and, and watching it on TV. But, um, you know, I, I think that happens in any square. I, I don't know, is UCLA going to be that now? Because I'll tell you what, Sproul's going to have a dynasty coming up here pretty soon. He's got some nice kids coming in, and, you know, kids, kids are uh, excited about the years to come. So is he going to become that now, or is he – so well liked that it's now the the kind of gentler UCLA that just coaches well in the milk. So um, that's a good question. What do you think? Well, just just for myself, I mean, I, I being on the outside, never liked UCLA. I felt like <laughs> they they just stockpiled a bunch of guys who could sort of play, and they sort of threw them out there together, and they could just beat you. Uh, I didn't feel like it was right. a very level playing field when tuition at my school was $40,000, although I think maybe it was $30,000 today. It's probably fifty now at Pepperdine. And tuition at UCLA at the time was like five grand. So I, I don't know. I, UCLA might have been might have been the evil empire a little bit. They kind of acted that way, you know, just sort of uh, not, not any care for what was happening. And uh, I'd been the big dog in junior college with our team and kind of telling people we're going to beat you and then beating you and then making fun of you and then leaving your gym. And I think UCLA sort of did the same thing. So maybe it's just jealousy talking. <laughs> Eric Sullivan would tell you that. <laughs> uh, you know what? I, I remember those days because you and I played JC ball at the same time. And I remember those days when Pierce would walk in the gym, you know, every other junior college was kind of a ragtag group of guys and, and, a lot of them were Division One guys that just didn't have the grades or the money to go. Uh, and so there were some really good teams and, and good players at that level. And still is. But I remember you guys would walk into the gym. You guys were all wearing the same thing. You warmed up the same. It was a Division One program at the junior college level. And Big Daddy did such a nice job of running that thing the, the way that it's supposed to be done. It gave the kids something to believe in and something to grab onto. And, man, you guys were good. There was a team – I gotta remember this. Jason Ring, uh, and then Eric Pich no, Pichel was somewhere else. You think it was at Santa Monica. But it was Ringer, it was uh, uh the guy who went to Northridge, the the setter. Dan Nash. Uh, what's better? No, Dan no, Nash. no. It was the guy Unger, Matt Unger. And Jason Ring and you and I mean it's just, no, it was a no. stick. It, it was Nash. It wasn't Unger. It was it was me, Jason Ring, and Dan Nash, all three of whom played in Division One the following year. 
And I remember uh, <laughs> Tito from Hawaii saying to me in the stands when I was watching a match, he said, wait a minute, wait a minute. All three of you were on a team and you didn't win the state championship? What's wrong with you guys? <laughs> Who won that yes. year? Do you remember? Uh, yeah, we lost. We went 20-0 and 0 our first year. We went 20-0, and 0 and we lost to Orange Coast College. Uh, that was my first season. But then the season in question where the three of us were kind of the, the main core of the team, we were 18-2. and two. We lost to Golden West in the semis, who went on to defeat uh, the final, which, uh, yeah, that wasn't, uh, wasn't a good memory <laughs> for me. But I, I am still the holder of the videotapes. I have the original VHS that no one else Ooh. has. I would love to see those sometime. That was back in Al Gasparian's days, correct? That's when he was at Golden West? Uh, let's see. Who was coaching the men's team at that time? Is that Alan Knipe? No, where'd Knipe coach? Yeah, I think Knipe was at Golden West at that point. That might be Knipe. Man, man. That might be that time. Good games. Hey, good point here with uh, with all the chatter about Al Skates perhaps being Darth Vader. Does that make John Sprawl Luke Skywalker? <laughs> That's I don't classic. know that Skywalker didn't come and control the evil empire later, so maybe maybe Skates is the Emperor and John Spraw is Darth Vader? I'm not sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's, I, I'm, I'm not getting involved with that. I have no idea who's who and in, in what uh, in what scenario there. All right. Well, hey, and he has both for, his hands still. Thanks for checking in for a little while. I'm going to pull up Lindsey Berg here in just a second. And uh, All right. interview her, and then we'll call it a day here on the Net Live. So, Jay, how's it going? Everybody, thank, thank you. And uh, yeah, we'll we'll chat soon. Take care, everybody. All right, see you. Jay Hosick checking out of the Net Live. We're going to be right back in about uh, 15 seconds here with Lindsey Berg and reset things and talk to her about uh, what's going on right now. Seems like more volleyball. Right back here. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling alright. Everybody will be dancing tonight, doing it right. Everybody will be dancing and we're feeling it right. Everybody will be dancing and be feeling it right. Everybody will be Welcome back to the Net Live here on Volleyball Magazine. That's a little of a Daft Punk and doing it right. I think that that's going to be a big one this summer. That that album is huge. It's a very good album. Do yourself a favor and go on iTunes and uh, check it out. Kind of an experiential album. I would compare it to maybe Pink Floyd back in the day where 
it's just a, a whole story throughout the whole thing. You can kind of put it on and let it play. Speaking of great stories, our next guest has a great story, has been a great story on the national team for so long. She's been a big part of the success of the national team program. She joined the team in 2003 out of Honolulu, Hawaii, played her college ball in Minnesota at Punahou High School before she went on to the University of Minnesota. She became a 2008 silver medalist in Beijing, a 2012 silver medalist once again in London last summer. One of the most interesting people I think that you're going to meet in the world of volleyball. Please welcome into the Net Live once again, Lindsay Berg. Berg, you're there. Hello, I am here, I but I keep getting disconnected for some reason, so I hope we can hold this. I've moved a couple spots, so we'll see. Okay. But I am here. I hope they have phone coverage up there in Minnesota. I don't know. I heard it's I finally it's warm tough. and everything's okay. Well, well hey, there's some crazy storms going on, so there's been some a lot of problems, electricity, phones, so on and so forth, but we'll see what happens. Okay, hopefully no, no derecho or anything coming through the Midwest. That scary storm that they had a couple of weeks ago. Hey, I know. It's been crazy. You and I have been chatting a little bit back and forth, and we had you on the show after the Olympic Games, and it was, I'm done, I'm retiring, my knees can't handle it. And then all of a sudden, I saw you in December, and it was, I'm going to Turkey, and now here after Turkey in the spring, it's, I'm back to the national team. What happened to retirement sitting on the porch and drinking lemonade? Yeah, I don't know. I figured out how to do both at the same time, I think. Um <laughs> I don't know. I had a great experience in Turkey with Fenerbahce. It was half a season. It was short. Um, but I don't know. I guess the love just isn't gone, and I'm not ready to be done, and I still feel I can help teams in lots of areas, not only with my play but with my leadership. And obviously, Karch is amazing, and I've had multiple conversations with him about, you know, I don't know for sure if I want to, but I can't say I want to retire anyway. So what do I have to do to keep in you know, in the gym, in the loop with the team, and what does that require for this summer, and so on and so forth. So we've had a lot of conversations, and I'll be back in the gym in July for how long, I don't know, but just going to kind of take it day by day. Yeah, that's that's amazing that you're still at it. I mean, just from the physical aspect of things, I understand you get to a point where you're comfortable mentally and you want to do it and you don't want to be done. I, I definitely was there, but my knees gave up. What have you been able to do or what has changed about your physical condition that has allowed you to have that, that option? Yeah, uh, well, my knees are giving up on me. Well, one is, and um, but I've been able to do the procedure of PRP, which I don't know how many people are familiar with it. I can't necessarily talk about it in medical terms, but, you know, they take your blood out and they spin it, and then they inject it into the areas that have pain. And it's helped me. It got me through Turkey, and I did it again um, right when I got back in May. And so Karch let me take these two months to recover from that and to build some strength. And so that's been working, and I just have a and weird motivation, I call it weird because it's not that I haven't ever been motivated, but it's like an extreme motivation right now um, just to be the best in the best shape that I've ever been. So I've been working out real hard and trying to see what I can do to make it for three more years. Platelet-rich plasma, that's what PRP stands for. I've had it done, definitely. It, it's helped my situation with my knees and my desire to continue to be active. And uh, if you're out there struggling with your knee procedure, ask your physician and consult your physician directly. It sounds like a, a public service announcement or something for a, a drug commercial. 
So you have the, the second half of things. You have the, the post-volleyball. It's really not retirement. It's just post-volleyball life as we've lost Lindsay now from the Midwest. We'll wait for her to call right back in. I'm sure she'll check right back in. Things are a little crazy up there in Minnesota. We'll get right back to her. I'm sure she will uh, check back in here in just a second. You know, we're out here on the edge of uh, of what's possible here with the world. There she's back. Lindsay, so... Sorry, you guys. I'm so sorry. I'm trying to find a better place. Um, no worries. No worries. So okay. In trying to manage what's next, it's not um, not retirement. It's just post volleyball. What the post volleyball world looks like? What for you? Before it was fashion and kind of doing your own thing, but now it seems like you have a couple of other directions you may be headed. Yeah, if I'm going to consider trying for one more Olympics, I think the store that I have been planning in slightly be postponed unless I can find a couple people that want to put more time into it, knowing that I have these other commitments. Um, but that's still, I want that to happen. But my sister, she's a volleyball coach at Dartmouth and really just knows what I can provide for younger players or college players. And we talked about doing a camp, and we put together um, this camp that was started off with eight college setters, and it's just taking it to the next level of what it takes to play after college because sometimes these things, you can't teach these things unless you've gone through it, and I've gone through it. And we put together this Lindsay Berg International Setter Academy. We did it in Austin, Texas last month, and it was incredible um, and something that I want to expand on as well as camp for younger kids, and it's just kind of the start of what I'm going to call it Corte Camp, Corte means heart in Italian, and that's my brand and my company that I've made because um, I have gone so far because of my heart of how much passion I have for the sport. And that's what it is. So we're starting those and hopefully develop to get bigger and bigger. Um, but that also all depends on my time as well. Am I going to go back overseas? I don't know. Um, if I'm with the national team all summer, it's hard to do camp. So a lot of it is still in question and need to figure it out, but uh, it's a start. Obviously, you're the driving force behind the camp, but who else do you bring in to coach and to work with you? Well, when I kept it that small um, and wanted it to be that small because it was a lot of personal time, I did video sessions with the girls and broke down their game of games that they had played. I had a mentor session with them. I had one-on-ones with them. So it was just me and my sister, and my dad helped with some logistical things. It was like a family affair. Um, But it worked out great. If it gets bigger, obviously, I will look towards um, other national team players to help me, other college coaches. Um, I'll just see in what it has depends on what direction I go, if it's younger players or continue to do college-level players. Uh, It all just kind of depends on that aspect of it as well. What areas do you find that they lack the most knowledge of? Is it uh, leadership-type things? Is it volleyball-specific things? Is it off-the-court stuff that you're talking about? Where's the area that you think they're absorbing yeah, the most information? Definitely kind of a mixture. Um, I think they didn't hear anything from me that a coach has, like, never told them, especially skill-wise mm-hmm. or that. I think it made a difference of hearing it from someone that has been through it and what out of those things that the coaches tell us really works for you. And um, leadership aspects, if you're having trouble with a teammate or how to lead the whole team, I told them different ways of approaching your teammates and different ways of talking to them. And they really liked it, and it really worked for them. And skill-wise, I wasn't trying to change anything that their coaches were doing for them, but I was trying to just expand their 
I guess, whole book vocabulary of setting. I made them look at the blockers a lot more than they say they do. Um, taught them a little more deception of talking why you run this play, why you're setting up this play. And we talked about a lot of stuff like that. Again, volleyball, not rocket science, as we covered earlier in the program, but uh, definitely good to change the messenger. Uh, how much do these kids know about you? How much do these kids know about your career in the national team? Um, the college players that I had, they did. Obviously, they were really interested in it because they do know my story and they know me. But I'd say in general, though, um, we're not known enough in the volleyball world. I was at Tech Austin Juniors of where I did the camp, and I could tell you probably 95% of the club girls there had no idea who I was. And I think that's uh, kind of a shame, just not because we want to be known, but for the amount of hard work that we put into our sport and for our country and just to build the sport, I think somehow we need to be more recognized and be able to mentor and teach these kids something. And without them knowing who we are, we'll never be able to do that. Have you been in the USA, Jim? I have been only twice since I've been back, um, just to get a couple checkups and say hi, but I will be there July 8th to work out and start from there and see how it goes. July 8th, so that's D-Day right there, arrival for you in the United States gym. If you want to see Lindsey Berg, as Jay mentioned, those gyms are open. Get down there and check it out. Lindsey, you mentioned you played in Turkey in uh, Fenerbahce this past year. Reed Pretty has been effusive in his praise of Turkey and the environment. Is that your experience as well? Was it a good one for you professionally? Yeah, I loved it. It was definitely a big change from Italy. there was a lot of pressure, but for some reason, it was a different amount of pressure going into each game. Um, and there was less, uh, as after every game, less talking about it. Something like in Italy and mentally wearing down and um, spoke the language in Italy, so you knew everything, you're reading everything, you can understand everything. Turkey speak. Um, Actually, it's got it sound pretty good, but he, but well, I maybe know nine Turkish words, and but it was such a different experience. And Fenerbahce has the biggest fan base in the world as a club, a sport club in general. Not that our games had a ton of people every game, but I really loved it. I loved the city of Istanbul, and it was an incredible experience. Was it fun being part of a sporting club that has other sports? Did you get a chance to be a fan of some of the other sports? Um, I went to some of games. I went to the soccer because it just didn't work out. But that's all the time we We're losing you, you know, just a little bit. You know there. how you know how hard you're working to feel that love is great. Can you hear me? Yeah, you just kind of fading in and out just a little bit. Uh, the weather must be a factor uh, back there in okay. Minnesota. But, uh, hey, one last question before we let you go about the Olympic Games this past year. Uh, yeah. Have you had a chance to really reflect upon it? And, and I'm not sure if we asked you this when we had you on before, but um, have you had an opportunity to talk to teammates about it or reflect upon it as, a, as an overall experience? And how have your feelings changed from the moment when it had concluded to today? 
Um, to tell you the truth, I haven't talked a lot with my teammates about it. I've talked a little bit with Karch. I still have not rewatched that match, which I think I need to at some point in time. Um, but my feelings haven't changed. I still believe that we're the best team in the world and can continue to be. And I understand sports and things like that happen. And uh, we just hopefully this quad can learn from what happened that day with us and not that it was an awful day, but we sure didn't reach the goal that we all believe we thought we could get. But, no, my feelings haven't changed. I just hope that we can take that as an experience and continue to grow and learn whether I'm on the team or not. Uh, losing her again. Well, Minnesota, this is a strike against you, the fact that we can't get Lindsey Berg raised here from Minnesota. I don't know. They have landlines there in Minnesota. I'm really not happy with that whole state right now. We'll blame Hugh McCutcheon, maybe. Or uh, who else can we blame up there, Minnesota, for what's going on here with uh, with Lindsay's audio? We'll hopefully get Lindsay back here in just a second. There she is. This is awesome. <laughs> okay, you're back. I am back. Um, for how okay, long? So- I don't know. Yeah, exactly. Well, uh, well, let's get people some information. If they want to know more about Lindsey Berg International Setter Academy and they want to perhaps uh, host you somewhere or, or have an event, where do they need to go? Who do they need to contact? Yes, well, right now we're working on putting all the info up for that camp, especially because we don't want to put that I'm doing them when I don't know when my next one is. But um, the info of our last camp is going to be up on my website, which is lindsaynapellaberg.com. Right now there's just some, some other pictures of me and some videos and stuff up there. But it's continuing to get better my site. I also have my Core shirts that will be up there for sale that I've gotten a lot of great feedback from, just the whole meaning of Core and heart and passion and what it takes. So um, com and Twitter at Napella, and anybody can write me. I normally respond to most people. And, uh, yeah, I just appreciate the support. Very good. Well, Lindsey Berg is a two-time silver medalist and longtime member of the national team. This will be 10 years, going on 11 years, where she's been on the national team, returning on July 8th. Lindsey, thanks very much for calling in. Good luck up there in Minnesota. We look forward to seeing you back on a USA roster soon. Thank you. Thanks for having me. All right, Lindsey Berg, checking right. in once again. See ya. And uh, being a part of here on the Net Live. And, boy, if you if you haven't ever met Lindsey, if you get an opportunity, if you go to the gym, introduce yourself, just say hi. Uh, one of the very cool kids out there, and I, and I say kid, but, heck, nowadays we're, we're all adults. But uh, when, just a kid when she joined the national team when I'd been there for a few years. And uh, one of the very neat people in this sport that uh, that you can really meet. And, and this show, really, we've spent a lot of time talking about the exposure of the sport. We want to have further exposure of the sport because the people in this sport are so interesting. Courtney Thompson, Lindsey Berg, um, all, all these folks are, are such an interesting group of of athletes and people. And and that's that's what it's really all about. It's about the people. And I think as you grow up and you – go to cool places and you figure you want to live somewhere, you want to be somewhere and you have more life experience. What you really figure out is it's all about the people with whom uh, you surround yourself. That's what, what's really the importance in life. And that's what really the assets are. I think in the sport of volleyball from the college athletes that I'm fortunate enough to meet both on the women's and men's side on up into the international ranks and the coaching staffs and the people who are really 
uh, doing some great things with uh, the youth in the United States and doing some great things for the sport of volleyball. And we appreciate you listening here to the Net Live as we try and do some good things for the sport of volleyball. We will be back next week. We will have uh, Jeremy in here along with me and whomever else, probably not Geeter, but we'll pull in some other good hosts and throw them all in here for another episode of the Net Live. I want to make sure we thank Jack Hammond. Remember to check out Court and Spark, the upcoming documentary, which will be aired at the Final Four. It's a good reason to come to the Final Four, as there are many when it comes to convention as well as the matches coming up in Seattle. They'll be in December, and it seems like far away right now as we're just kind of getting into the meat of summer. But it's not that far off, just about six months, a little bit less than six months, and the Final Four will be happening. I want to thank Lindsey Berg for calling in. I want to thank Jay Hasek for being a part of the show. And there's a lot of volleyball still happening out there. More FIVB Beach happening. The beach event in Long Beach coming up next month. They're going to be out there in Long Beach. That's the World Series of Beach Volleyball. So if you're in the Southern California area, check that out. And if you're in Reno this week, go and see the men's matches. I will be on hand along with Paul Sunderland for the call, along with who knows on the men's team. You'll see Matt Anderson for sure, but everyone else, Kind of a mystery. We'll have to see who shows up. That's that's part of the fun part when it comes to the USA men's national team right now. Development and learning. It'll be fun to watch. USA versus Bulgaria. That's happening Friday and Saturday night there in Reno. So come on up. Watch the match. Put it all on black. And then good luck to you. Thanks very much for being here, everybody. It's been fun doing another solo show. Been a good one. And I just want to say thanks to the chat board for being in. And uh, thanks to all of our guests. We'll be back next week with another episode of The Net Live. We'll see you.
With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.